welcome to the Kosafa Show with Mark Gleason and Nick Said. Welcome to our latest episode of the Kasafa Show, where we'll be looking ahead to the CAF African Schools Championship Kasafa Qualifier that will be staged in Lilongwe, Malawi from Saturday. Kasafa General Secretary Sude Tom will preview the event for us. On a similar theme to that, we will hear from Farouk Khan, who is one of the top development coaches in South Africa, has nurtured the careers of countless professional players over the years. He tells us the secrets to success and sheds light on the work done at his Stars of Africa Academy. We'll also get the views of Mamelodi Sundowns ladies coach Jerry Chabalala as his team jets off to Morocco for the African Women's Champions League finals, where they are the defending champions. But first, let's hear from Sude Tom ahead of the kickoff of the school's championship in Malawi. Uh, Sue, thanks so much for your time. Uh, you're in Lilongwe, Malawi at the moment, so preparing for the CAF African Schools Championship, uh, Kasafa Qualifier, that's starting this weekend. How are things going? Uh, going very well, Nick. Um, it's uh, It's been a, quite an exciting um, roller coaster ride, actually, uh, with, uh, you know, this is a new competition that uh, that we're doing for the first time. Um, CAF launched earlier this year in March, April, uh, their CAF African Schools Championship. And um, uh, the teams that, although the member associations that had uh, signed up for it uh, this year, uh, of which there were eight, um, have all done their zonal phase and, uh, and have qualified uh, a, a girls and a boys team. Um, so this is the culmination of that. It's, it's the zonal qualifier. Uh, they're all coming to, to together here in uh, in Lilongwe this weekend. And uh, from here, uh, qualified teams will, will go through to the Continental Championship uh, that will be held in March or April next year. Uh, so when we talk about schools, what exact age group are we are we talking about here? It's 12 to 15 years old. Must be uh, students or schools, it's not clubs. It's strictly, strictly schools. So um, this is a, a collaboration between the member association and their respective ministries of sport and education. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that the under 17 tournament was uh, a young player's introduction to international football. And while I know they're not representing their national teams, they are representing their schools internationally. So I guess this is the next first step, which is very exciting. Yeah, uh, this is a collaboration between CAF and FIFA. Um, the focal point of, of FIFA in terms of, uh, of youth uh, football um, has steadily been uh, going down from, from the under-17, which, as you say, uh, used to be kind of the, the, the entry point. Um, but uh, with FIFA having themselves recently um, uh, introduced a new program called uh, Football for Schools, um, uh, which is a program, not a, not a competition, and CAF then having the competition side of things with their CAF African Schools Football Championship. So the two kind of go hand in hand and, and targeting the 12 to 15, so bringing it very much into schools um, and and making that the the building block. And it must be exciting. I mean, it seems these days as Kasafa, almost every year we add another competition to our calendar, but it must be another welcome addition uh, in a different kind of age group. And uh, I guess that also comes with its different uh, kind of challenges with organization. Yeah, it's um, it, it has been, I must say, a little bit uh, tricky, um, but it's a new competition and... Um, uh, you know the, the the countries and and their and their partners uh, in this, i.e., the ministries, have to really uh, you know um, 
get get their heads around it. Um, out of our 14 member associations this year, we only had eight countries that signed up for it in, in March this year. Uh, we're certainly hoping, and um, I know that CAF is going to be uh, making a big push come January, uh, together with the executive directors of uh, of each of the six zones, um, to be doing a lot um, of home of homework, a lot of education um, of this of and around this this competition with the uh, member associations, and critically, um, again, you know, with the administrators in the in the departments of sport. Um, and, and education so that we get a complete buy-in. We'd like to see all 14 um, member associations particip- participating next year in their zonal, sorry, in their national phase. Uh, and then, of course, a, you know, having a, a, a bigger, better, uh, a more exciting zonal uh, qualifier. And, of course, we'll uh, be back in Malawi in a little over a month's time for the Region 5 Games, where we'll have an uh, under-17 competition for boys and for girls. The boys' competition, of course, is a, a zonal qualifier as well. How are preparations going for that and, and what is in store? Yeah, uh, preparations, you know, underway. Uh, always a mammoth task, I think, you know, for for any country, and and one really has to, um, you know, uh, take your hat off to to Malawi. To, you know, has uh, I'm sure not been easy for them. Um, you know, a country which is you know suffering uh, with you know he, huge economic um, deficits, etc. But uh, but they're doing their damnedest to you know pull everything out of the bag um, and to be able to to provide uh, first grade facilities for all of the athletes um, who will be coming here for the Region Five Games. Football, of course, as you say, under seventeen girls and boys, um, and with the boys being a zonal qualifier, so a really important uh, a competition this this year. Um, at the under-17 level. And that'll be our last event of what has been a very busy last few months. We've had Gasafa Cup, the, the Women's Champions League, Women's Championship. Uh, we had our beach soccer, of course, which has led now into the ongoing uh, CAF Beach Soccer Championship that's happening in Mozambique. And our men's under-20 competition. Just if you sort of have a broad uh, look back at the last few months and, and how we've done with Gasafa, what's your feeling? I think without blowing our own trumpet too loudly, um, I think we've done exceptionally well um, with the number of, of, of tournaments that, that we have put on and have put them on well. Um, our under-20 championship in Eswatini was outstanding. Um, it, uh, it, it was um, really um, well received in Eswatini because they haven't had international football there since before uh, 2019 because their um, their stadia, you know, were not uh, were not passed by CAF. Um, so uh, they made a lot of improvements, uh, and um, at the under 20 level, you know, um, uh, you know, they were they were fine. They uh, they passed muster. So it was um, that you know bringing the uh, a 12 team tournament there. Um, I don't think uh, you know the country has actually hosted a tournament of that magnitude, possibly since the 2010 Region 5 Games. And then that was the country, not the Football Association. So it was really well received um, by, by, you know, by in, in many quarters and a fabulous uh, tournament. Um, the beach uh, soccer in Durban, which was, uh, you know, our, our second one uh, of, of the chain that we've, you know, sort of um, uh, re- rejuvenated since 2015, um, also went exceptionally well. Uh, a mini AFCON, um, uh, if uh, if you will, you know, with the, with the likes of, um, of Egypt and, and Senegal, um, having jumped at the opportunity to come and prepare uh, for, for the beach AFCON uh, 
in Mozambique where they are now. Um, so I, I think we've had uh, a really bumper year. It's been exceptionally busy, um, but it's I think it's been fulfilling and it's it's um, ticked a lot of boxes for for our member associations and guest teams alike. Faro Khan has produced a number of players for Bafana Bafana and into the European market over the years and is highly regarded in local circles for his work in youth development, having been part of the South African Football Association's technical committee in the past. He shares his views on the key fundamentals for player development. Coach, uh, thanks much for joining us. It is an, truly an honor for us to uh, have you on our podcast. Uh, certainly one of um, South Africa's premier development coaches and I guess we can also say certainly across the African continent as well. For our listeners from outside of South Africa, perhaps you could just give a little bit of background about yourself and your career to date and, and how you got into development coaching. Yeah, it's uh, a career that started, uh, you know, after I sustained a cruciate ligament operation when I played football some years ago. I think it was in the early 80s. I then joined a club uh, that was called Dynamos. They were in the premiership at the time. And I had an urge to do coaching and I offered my services for free, coaching their youth teams, which obviously uh, was the beginning of my coaching career. Didn't have much knowledge of the game, in fact. Uh, as I said once before, I then bought a book written by Gary Bailey on coaching and it was quite a helpful tool, but it wasn't enough to prepare me for youth coaching. As you know, youth coaching is a specialized field. And I was then... Uh, recommended by the club owner at the time, Najib Kamaruddin, to uh, go to Soweto. And there was a gentleman, Ted Demetra, that was holding classes. In fact, I approached him to go to Brazil, but, you know, financially it wasn't possible. So he said, look, start with going to Ted, who's in Soweto at the Orlando Stadium. He starts, he's starting a coaching, uh, I would call it a workshop, because it wasn't really a course. You know, we used to attend once a week. And there were several coaches, the likes of Trot Molotto, James Mabena, Mike Antombella, who had come towards the end of their career. And we, we were with him for a while. And ultimately, there was an opportunity to go and study in Brazil, and I jumped to it. And the, 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 the sort of uh, incentive was that the top three coaches in that class would get an opportunity to go and study in Brazil and I jumped to it. I really worked my socks off and I finished in the top three. And uh, this was the start of understanding what coaching was uh, in general and eventually what youth coaching was all about. So on our way to Brazil, spent six weeks there, came back. Then we joined uh, Neil Tovey with the Neil Tovey Clinics, which was... Uh, sponsored by Transnet. And uh, subsequently, we started the School of Excellence. As you know, uh, Nick, the school then produced a number of talented players, including the likes of Stephen Pinar, Zito King, Old John Mabizela, and a number of other outstanding players came through this program. Uh, a few years later, I was headhunted by Kaiser Chiefs, and I became the head of development and also very fortunate to have developed a number of players like Jabu Pule, Isaac Mabotsa, Gerald Sibeko. I mean, the list is quite lengthy. And um, then joined the first team with Mushina Tigral, where I then did obviously youth in the afternoons and worked with him in the first team, which was a good, a good uh, marriage because I then realized what he wanted, you know, in the first team. And then I would obviously look to prepare those players in the academy so that they can meet the expectation. And I think it's always good to have that situation where the head coach and the youth coach work very closely. And um, eventually joined him in the first team, then joined him at Santos, came back from Cape Town, Santos, back to Chiefs, then to Sundowns for a while, and won league titles with both teams. Then uh, 
the opportunity to start our own academy, Stars of Africa, came about with the help of Helsingborg. And I mean, just, uh, you know, grew from strength to strength. Started very small and eventually players like May Mashlangu, Tukelo Ranti and a number of other players came through, represented the national team. And uh, yeah, that's basically uh, what, what my coaching career has been spanning over, let me say, over the last uh, 30 years, 30 odd years. Um, constantly still learning, constantly still uh, understanding how vast this game of football is that you never, ever know everything that you learn constantly. And um, currently, you know, busy with the Stars of Africa program, there's a number of youngsters, promising youngsters that are coming through, which keeps you motivated when you see these kids. You want to ensure that they uh, get to a point where they now become professional players. So, Nick, that's in a nutshell what I've been doing over the years. Obviously, I've been part of SAFA's technical committee, have been part of the national team that uh, under 20 that went to the final for SAFA, um, worked with Mackie Chinia at the time. He asked me to help him prepare the team, which we did. We went to the final. So, yeah, there's been a lot of milestones as far as winning, you know, uh, tournaments like the Engine Cup, or both uh, the local one and the national tournaments. Being over to Brazil with the Kaiser Chiefs Academy team, did very well there as well in an under-20 tournament. We thought it was a club tournament, turned out to be a national tournament, but fortunately we had about six or seven national team players and we went all the way to the semi-final. So it was very, very uh, rewarding. I must say football has been very good to me in as far as going to many countries in the world and constantly meeting with interesting people. And in football, you know, it's always a case of meeting people that you share your passion with. And uh, I think that's what it's all about for footballers. It's important, even at youth level, for kids to enjoy themselves, to have fun, and in the process, eventually, uh, you know, make football a career when, when, whenever it's possible. And I, I'm trying to remember, Coach, have you had any players from outside of South Africa come through Stars of Africa? Have you had any youngsters that have been brought in from the Southern African region? Yeah, there's been a number over the years. In fact, we, we now have uh, two Ghanaians, uh, Tanzanian uh, we had players from Malawi. We had players from Zimbabwe. In fact, when we do conduct trials, you'll be quite surprised, Nick, to find that we get players coming from as far as Zimbabwe and from Zambia, etc. Because I suppose with the advent of uh, social media, the world has become very small and people know exactly what you're doing around the continent and uh, around the world as such. So, yeah, we've had a number of players. Uh, the, the challenge there is that you can't really, uh, you know, register them to play in, a, in the league unless they get work permits, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which does uh, mean a, there's a lot of red tape around that. So basically, they, they 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 come here, they're on a visa, on a work permit for a short while, they train, they have to renew it, but eventually they go overseas to other clubs and uh, join them. So yeah, we have had that in the past. Uh, you know, boys are coming from different parts of Africa to. To, to, to realize their dream. And those are the ones that really, I must say, put in the work because they realize this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I think with our kids in South Africa, sometimes they take a lot for granted. They become a little bit uh, lackadaisical and you've got to constantly remind them that this game, uh, especially when you're looking at becoming a professional, requires lots of sacrifice uh, because the, the level up there, the, the, the differences is so minute, you know, between making it and failing that you really got to put everything into it. Yeah, I guess, I mean, uh, was my next question is, you know, what you look for in a youngster when you're conducting trials, ability, obviously, but also once you get to know that youngster better, is it about how much do you put into the mental side of it and 
preparing them to to be professionals? I think ideally you should constantly be looking to integrate the psychological and the mental side in as far as uh, motivation is in as far as life skills are concerned. A part of your training should be about, uh, you know, ensuring that you, you teach these kids good life skills and also good mannerisms. Uh, and it's difficult because sometimes, you know, if you, if you, if you have kids that just want to play, they don't want to listen to the coach's voice, giving them advice on what they should do, what they shouldn't do. But it's essential to remind them that success at the highest level is not something that comes easy. You know, you, you have uh, kids that are here and they just believe that their talent alone will suffice. And that's the furthest from the truth. Talent alone has never produced world-class players. Uh, if you speak to any of the top players, and I mean, lately there's been a lot of that on television where you interview some of the best players in the world. And, and they all say the same thing. They all say we had to do extra. We had to make sacrifices. We had to do a, a lot more than uh, what our talent afforded us. And, and that's the only way we became what we are today. So you got you got to show them that uh, visually. you got to speak to them. You've got to have sessions in classrooms where you constantly give them a different view to what it is to become a professional. It's not like, I would say, the old days where it was mainly focused on, you know, getting the player to training and, and, and working with him. So there's a lot of interaction. Uh, there's a lot of work done on the psyche of the player, his mental state. How does he deal with challenges? We see that commonly when there's questions asked about why is it that players don't, uh, make the, the cut when it comes to, uh, you know, getting into the professional team once they promote it. And I think in South Africa, we've had a lot of very uh, promising players not making it at the top. And I would always say to them, it's about continuity. And it's also about the fact that there is a consistency in what you're doing. You know, So there has to be a continuous effort, both from the player and the coach, to ensure that you give him the best training. And that includes the mental side of the game as well. There was uh, quite a bit of reaction to South Africa um, going out in the semi-finals of the recent uh, Kosafa Under-20 Championship. Um, and a lot of the focus was therefore put on development in the country. I know you're playing your part, but but you are one man and, and one organization. How do we get to a stage on a, on a national level where we are nurturing what is, there's clearly talent in this country, but nurturing that so that we can be more successful on an international scale? Well, I think there's a lot of talent that is going unnoticed, uh, Nick, uh, and that is not because of the fact that people are not developing talent. Yes, there is obviously a need to develop talent more holistically and more in, in, on, a, on a larger scale. But I think if you look at the, the team that participated in that tournament, you had eight players from one club, okay? The coach was from that particular club as well. And that has to ask the question, are you saying that one club has eight of the best under-20s in the country? And are we saying that it's, it's not a conflict of interest? If you were the coach, Nick, I would say it's a conflict of interest if you were part of a club. Let's say you were part of a particular club and you were a national coach, then there is going to be a bias involved. And this clearly has been what people have been asking. So you cannot even get to the point of discussing the merits of how we can improve until you get the structures properly. We need to have a selection process that's transparent, that ensures that every talented kid in the country is given a fair chance to prove himself 
to become a national team player because it should even start earlier than under 20. It should start even before they reach the under 17 national team. We should have what other countries around the world have. We should have a model where we identify talent at a tender age and start monitoring that talent. And when it gets to the national team under 17, they should be 15 years old, already showing the potential to become national team players. This isn't the case. I can give you a number of examples. I can give you an example of Tokelo Ranti, never made under 17, never made under 20, never made under 23, became a hit in Pafana, scoring goals. Now, you've got to ask the question, if you just use him as an example, forget about Belenomvete, forget about all the others that came before him that weren't in the youth teams. You've got to ask a question, if he was in one of the bigger clubs, surely he would have been given that opportunity. So I do think that we are limiting our selection to your bigger clubs. And that is not, I think, the best way to go about doing things because there could be a player in the most rural areas who has the potential to become a world beater, but he's never going to play for your national teams. He's only going to get an opportunity once he makes it at club level. This was the case of Sibusiso Kumalo. I don't know if you can remember him. He played for Morocco Swallows. You were still a journalist. You must have come across his name. He then went on to play for Mamalodi Sundowns. He played for Kaiser Chiefs. He played for all the big teams as well, besides uh, Orlando Pirates. He simply got a chance because he made a hit at Swallows at the age of 18. Didn't make under 17, but made under 20s because immediately when he scored those wonderful goals as a left fullback, he was he was he was identified as a potential national team player. And as they say, the rest is history. You know, he he, he got through based on the fact that he was in the in the professional. Uh, ranks. But there's a number of other players that didn't really hit the ground running. For example, Meimashlanga only got into the national team once he started doing well in Sweden. And once, uh, you know, people started asking questions when they saw him on television playing, why wasn't he in Bafana? And that's how he was called up. And similarly, Rantier, when he went to Orlando Pirates and subsequently went to Malmo, he was called up. So I think a lot of the talent is, is slipping through our fingers. So that's the first thing. You can't have a national team if your scouting is not uh, uh, at, at a level where you, you select the best that there is in the country. So clearly, from my experience, I don't think under 17, under 20 and under 23 is a through reflection of the best talent in the country. And do you think, Coach, and this doesn't just apply to South Africa, I guess this would supply to, uh, apply to other countries as well. Do you subscribe to the fact that countries should have a national identity in terms of the way they play? You know, everyone's saying, oh, the Dutch play this way and the Spanish play this way. Or, or is it about, and, and therefore South Africa should develop a way of playing that, um, that connects with the attributes that their players have? Um, do you subscribe to that or do you think it's really more about um, just creating individual technical players and them forming a structure under a coach? Well, I think uh, it's important to have an identity. I think if you want to be able to box with the best in the world, all of those countries that you think about that have made an impact have a unique identity, including uh, countries that have emerged over the last 10 or 15 years, like Belgium, they had a similar problem where they had a, a, a situation where they weren't able to really define their philosophy, their style, their game model. And then they went back uh, back to the, the drawing board and, 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 and set people around the table and said, what is the ideal um, game model or playing philosophy that we should adopt? They came up with something. They then in, they came up with a, a formation that they would want to play with. They came up with a type of players that they would look to scout for this specific philosophy and style of play, which obviously is a case of 
you know, doing your homework and seeing we have players that are physiologically uh, built in a certain way. They're not seven, eight footers. They may be six, two, six, four players. What is their strengths? They're quick in South Africa. They're very skillful. So should we adopt a, a style of play that is more direct? Maybe not. Maybe we should adopt a play which is similar to what we see Spain have, to similar to what we see Brazil have, because they have similar um, um, biological makeups like we have. You know, they don't have, you know, like if you go to the Scandinavian countries, you have the islands that are seven foot tall, etc. Then obviously that that shouldn't be uh, uh, the, the way to go. And and then once you have the once you have this unique style of play, this philosophy of play. You encourage kids from a young age to start playing that particular way. And that's your game model from a young age. To give you an example, when I studied in Brazil in 1992, uh, you know, you, they even have a lot of beach football where they've left. In fact, there's not much space in Rio available. So they've converted their beaches into football fields. I was watching the ladies' teams play, and they play very similar to the, the senior national team and to the club teams. They play with a 4-4-2. They play with their fullbacks constantly bombing down. They have a lot of uh, players with a lot of finesse, skill and creativity, which they encourage. And that's a common denominator. But when you go to Sao Paulo, it's a little bit different. But again, players are so well developed that they can adapt once they get to the national team. So there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all. You're going to have players coming from the Western Cape that play a bit more direct. And you're going to have players coming from KwaZulu-Natal and, and Gauteng that a little bit more skillful in the sense they like to keep the ball, they like to... So you've got to blend the two in. If you look at the the, the, the team that won the African Cup in South Africa, in, in, I think it was 90, what is it, 96, um, we had a team made up of players from all over the country. I mean, there was a number of players from the Western Cape, from Gauteng, as well as from Kazulu Natal, and they made up a very unique team that were able to share their, 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 their skills, their qualities, and come up with a very unique brand of football under Clive Barker. And they went on to win the, the, the tournament. So once again, I don't think we should change what Clive started. Clive gave them a lot of freedom of expression. He had players like Doctor who was given the opportunity to express himself, Dr. Kumalo, Shoes Michelle, and then you had uh, the Eric Tinkler was that that, that muscle in the, in the center of midfield at number six, who would uh, you know just break down any attack. You had Neil Toby was a leader in defense with a balance between him and Lucas, so they complemented each other. And you had uh, and the Aronson in goal. So I think this is the balance we're missing out on. There is no uh, reason to become uh, you know uh, regimental in saying this is the style of play. Football is very global, and basically, what is football? Football is teaching young players how to be technically astute and to then bring in the tactical side of the game and combine these two with the physical and the psychological and the social aspects. And once you have all of those five performance factors integrated, then I think the playing model and the philosophy automatically comes to the surface. Uh, I, I mean, a country like Brazil has learned a lot from Europe and vice versa. Europe, Europe has learned a lot from Brazil and its other South America. So I think Football is, is, is so open now where everybody can learn from everybody else. But ultimately, it's about the individual's technical ability, his playing intelligence, his tactical awareness that will, will, will win matches and will win tournaments. And just lastly, Coach, uh, just a little bit more on your, your Stars of Africa Academy, how it's structured, what age groups you do, what leagues you play in, uh, everything about the, the organization. Well, you know, we started 
we started when I when I left Sundowns. I think it was in 2005, 2006. We had one age group which was a senior team, if you want to call it that, was made up of 16-year-olds that played in the uh, now Mutsepi League, which is your fourth division. And uh, we had to survive because it was a league where you had people playing uh, that were aged 23, 24, 25, even 29, upwards. Everybody were only, at that stage, you were allowed to have any age. Later on, there was a, a, a law passed by SAFA that you had to have, I think, five or six players under 23. So we started with that group and we survived with that group and went on eventually to get a number of those players into the professional ranks, both locally and abroad. And then eventually we realized that we needed to have a feeder system uh, starting with younger players. We then went down to the age groups of under 15. And of late now, we've gone down right to under six. So we have kids coming in from five years old now, right up to under 18 and beyond, which is the SABT. Uh, we now have approximately between nine teams. Uh, we have kids from six years old. We'd like to introduce uh, some women's teams as well. Uh, it's, it's an area where I think we all, as football people, need to start putting our resources into. And, uh, you know, we have at, on average about three or 400 players uh, coming to training at our fields uh, on, a, on, a, on a weekly basis. The kids that travel come in on a Monday, Wednesday and Fridays. But uh, the kids that live at the academy, which are about 60 kids, they train Monday to Friday. They play on a Saturday and they're off on a Sunday. So it's, it's a full-time thing where... They sometimes have two sessions, once in the morning at 5.30 and when they get back from school, which is around about 3.30. So for us, it's it's trying to make up in many cases for lost time. A lot of the kids we get have missed out on two or three phases of their development. When they get to us at 15 and 16, it means we need to do a lot of remedial work for stuff that they've missed out in their first and second stages of their development. And now we're busy in the consolidation stage, but they've missed out on so many basics. And this is what we see currently, Nick, in our professional league, where there's a lot of players that have deficiencies. But unfortunately, those players haven't come through a systematic program uh, of, of development where all of these different aspects of the game are, are corrected and improved. Amuri Sundowns ladies head to Morocco, hopeful of retaining their African Women's Championship crown when the competition gets underway on Monday. They've been drawn against Bielsa Queens from Nigeria, Egyptian side Wadi Degla, and TP Mazembo from DR Congo. Coach Jerry Shabalala shares his views ahead of the competition. It's very important for us to, to wrap the league before we, we could even go to Morocco. Uh, psychologically, it helps us in terms of us focusing on the big one, which is CAF Champions League. You know, we don't have to worry about the other teams while they're still playing at home uh, in terms of us trying to play catch-up games. So if you could have a look at what we did last year, it was more or less the same thing, which it gave us all the, the focus in terms of us focusing on CAF Champions League. You could see that we've been playing games weekend and week out, uh, Saturdays, Saturdays and Wednesdays. But as a technical team, we gave, we, we gave ourselves enough time to, to study our opponents. You know, as much as it's difficult for us to find the clips, but we, we've managed to, to get some of the clips, especially for, uh, with the team from Nigeria, your, your Bayesla Queens, and, and the team from TP Mazembe. Uh, it's a bit of a challenge for us clips of uh, Wadi Degla, but we know what to expect. Um, the good thing about it, it's the fact that uh, some of these teams that will play games before before us. So we'll have that 
opportunity to see them know what to expect from them. Funny enough, we had already tasted a defeat when we when we play against um, what's that team? When we play uh, Green Buffaloes. Before we played Green Buffaloes, we had already tasted defeat in a league, which I think it came in as a as a wake up call for us to say we are not invisible. So, but the game against Green Buffaloes, there were a lot of positives to take out of that game, except. Uh, despite us going down via the penalties, you know. So it gave us a clear picture of what to expect in, in Kev Champions League, if I may if I may put it that way. So basically, it has prepared us for, for anything that might happen in the Champions League. Yeah, Lukoko, when you look at the team, um, immediately after after a couple of few games that we didn't do well, a game against your UWC, a lose away, and a draw home, and a lose against TUT, a TUT, there were a couple of... Few changes that were made into the team in terms of how we approach a game. Yes, teams out there, they may have studied us, but we we believe in our strength. You know, we're not going to change that much. It's only it's only a, a tactical approach that we we can just tweak with. You know, you we know we are a team that likes to attack with wing backs, but as a coach and a technical team, we've also learned one or two things. We we realize that in terms of us inventing some of our wing wingers. It gives us an opportunity to to break the low block that teams normally gets to apply when they play us because I think it's really frustrating to to play against a low block, a well coached uh, low block. Some of the teams they will try to apply a low block, but only to find they are they are not well coached, they are not they are not that good in terms of dealing with the in terms of applying that low block. So if you are not that clinical about it, it will give us that that small opportunity to break that low that low block. So basically, just trying to answer the question. Yes, there are a few things that will be will be tweaked to the team for that root of a low block. It's never it's never an easy task uh, for any team that that that's are defending champions to go back into the into the tournament and try to defend their title. It will always be uh, a mountain to climb. But we we are ready and we are focused in terms of us uh, defending our title. Uh, going back to the question that you posed in terms of us producing the players for Benyana, I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing for us. The experience that they've gained in in, uh, in the previous African Women's Champions League, uh, it will help us. It will come in handy. You look you look in terms of the goalkeeper that we had there, Adina Tamini, and also the Botswana International, Sejidam uh, Abuseja, who's who's also uh, our goalkeeper. So the experience that they've gained from that tournament, it will come in handy for us in terms of us defending our title. Now, look, the Zambian team, they, they've been doing quite well uh, in terms of them dominating their, their local league. And the good thing about it is that I follow, I follow their league. Uh, I know that they've played three games and they've won three already. Uh, the only thing that, the only advice that I can give to them is when we, when we go to Kef, Kef is a bit of a different stage, you know, but the good thing that could, that could benefit them or that could help them it's the fact that uh, they are a team that doesn't concede easily. So if you don't concede goals, you, you stand a chance of, of winning a game. But they also need to work uh, in terms of their attacking play. I think that could be their only downfall. Because you, you, you can't go into a game and decide to sit the whole 90 minutes without even trying to, to get a goal. But other than that, they are a very strong side. One of the sides that might cause an upset in, a, in the Champions League. I think both teams, you know, we we stand a very, very good chance. Uh, I would say 60, 70% chances of any of the team bringing the trophy home. 
You know, what I liked about the, the group stage is the fact that we're not going to meet each other in a, in a group stage. So we're not going to eliminate each other. So it's either we'll meet in the semis or we'll meet in the finals. I believe, I believe in that in their group, they stand a good chance of going through. So we both, both teams from the Southern region, they stand a good chance to possibly meet in the final. That's it for another episode of the Kasafa Show. We'll be back in a fortnight with more views from around the Southern African region. Don't forget you can listen to more of our podcasts on Soccer Luduma Radio, kasafa.tv, Spotify, and iTunes. You can also get the latest news via our website at www.kasafa.com and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. <laughs>